We all do better when we all do better. That means everyone. All genders and colors just love one another. We'll have so much fun. Before the president was even sworn in, when he was president-elect, he claimed that three to five million people in this country voted illegally. Yes. Okay. That is a staggeringly false and irresponsible figure, and it's So you irresponsible. have seen no evidence to support that claim? None. Thank you again for joining us for the Indivisible MNO3 podcast. I'm Ms. Shannon here with co-chair of Indivisible MNO3, Lori Wolf. Thanks again for bringing me out here, Lori. Absolutely. Thanks for being with me. And thanks again for letting us broadcast from the Studio Americana, lovely studio here in Golden Valley, Minnesota. And uh, we are reminding everybody that part of the reason why we do this podcast is that we did realize that some people are very busy and that they want to be involved. They're looking for a way to get active in the community, but sometimes they just don't have the basic civics information to get at, get out there, get involved and know what's going on. And we read all of these things that are going on in the paper and there's lots of things that we go, I feel like I should be upset. And now that I'm upset, I feel like I should go out and I should do something, but Mm -hmm. we don't know where to start. So this podcast is made for you. It gives you a good foundation on what is going on here. And it also takes some time to kind of backtrack and explain some of those words that have become buzzwords in the uh, whenever we're reading the news. But we maybe don't have the full background on what they do. Yeah, like voter integrity, for example. (laughs) And so, Lori, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest today, the very esteemed guest that we have. Yes, I'm so excited to have Secretary of State. Steve Simon here. We've been working on this for a while to work with his schedule. He's very busy, so we greatly appreciate you taking time out to talk to us about all things voter rights, voter registration, maybe election integrity, any of those sorts of questions around voting that you could help us with. Thank you very much for having me. And Secretary Simon, you've been involved in the Minnesota political community for quite some time because you started as a representative, I believe. That's right. And so tell us how you decided to get into the process. I grew up in where I live now, in Hopkins, Minnesota, Hopkins and St. Louis Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was interested in public affairs and current events and the news from a young age. And that sort of carried through to whatever I was doing in junior high and high school. Uh, I went to the University of Minnesota Law School and all along I was involved. But this time, by that point, I was involved in campaigns as well. Okay. I actually um, uh, moved to Little Rock, Arkansas in 1992 Mm. and worked on the Clinton-Gore campaign. So that had always been a part of me as well. And so were you actually like a door knocker? Were you out there like pounding the pavement for whatever uh, party you were involved in? Well, in that particular campaign, I started that way. Mm -hmm. I'm doing that in New Hampshire. But by the Mm -hmm. time I moved to Little Rock, I was with the national campaign office. So I was at a desk in an office doing a bunch of stuff for the campaign. So we had kind of migrated or morphed over that time. But so I had uh, a lot of campaign involvement. And... uh, I was living in the community that I grew up in, and there were some things that I was not happy with. Okay. Uh, I didn't think the incumbent uh, was serving the community as well as he should have, and so I decided to do something about it. And that something was to run against that incumbent, and I won. That was 2004, and I was in the legislature for 10 years, and then in 2014 uh, ran for this office for Secretary of State. So that's a short timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> it's just, I, but it's just a, a it's, quick overview, right? Yes. Life since middle school. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I think that it's great that you said you decided to do something, and that's yeah. a lot of what we try to cover here on the podcast. Is when you hear something, what can people do to infuse themselves into a scenario that they're going, okay, I don't like what's going on, but how do I stop feeling like I'm ineffective, but I can actually do something? So that's great. Well, that's right up my alley too, because what I tell people is, you got to vote. It really does start with there. I mean, uh, Paul Wellstone said it maybe best. The only way to change is to vote. There are mm-hmm. there are other ways to have an impact. And like run for office. Like run for office, like be involved in Indivisible, like um, join a, a group that shares your values and that is pushing for outcomes that are consistent with your values. That could be the League of Women Voters. That could be a political party. That could be a particular campaign. But... When you turn 18 in this country, you get a lot of things. Hopefully a slice of birthday cake, a pat on the back, a congratulations, and you get formal political power. You get the right to vote. Now, as the Parkland kids have shown, you don't have to be that old to have some power, but it's formalized at age 18. Mm -hmm. And so my job, one of my jobs, is to get out the word about getting out the vote. Okay. And that's a crucial part of the responsibility of being Secretary of State. 
So I have a question about that specifically because I am very proud to be a Minnesotan. And I actually wrote out postcards right after the election last November in 2016. All my representatives, the senators, I was writing postcards to everybody. Like, I was concerned. And on the front of it, I made a picture of Minnesota, and I had number one in voter turnout. So very proud of that as a state, but I understand that we haven't always been at number one. Can you tell us a little bit about what your office has done to make sure that we stay, you know, how do, how do we keep that number one slot? I don't know why we slid down to six at one point. Right. I'm like, oh my gosh, That's we're right. at six? <laughs> I know. It's embarrassing. Unacceptable. Right. It is unac- Unacceptable. Unacceptable. So yeah, we, we had a long win streak of being number one in the country. And mm-hmm. then we started to slip a little in recent years. As you mentioned, we were number six mm-hmm. as of 2014. So when I came into this job, one of my goals was to challenge Minnesota to get back to number one. And we did it. And we are now back at number one. So how did that work? Well, obviously, we partnered with a lot of people. It wasn't just our office. But there are things that we did in our office that we think really moved the needle. For example, we really focused a lot on our youngest voters and would-be voters, Mm. 18 to 24. In fact, we started even earlier. So we did some things that had never been done before like a statewide mock election for high school students. Even if they weren't 18 yet, it was a mock election. We provided the ballots. We had 281 high schools for a total enrollment of 96,000 kids participate in this. And in a lot of schools, uh, they used it to do candidate debates, to Mm -hmm. do issue discussions, to uh, do all sorts of things around that contest. And then on college campuses, we did something, again, it had never been done before, called Ballot Bowl. And Ballot Bowl was a competition between and among college campuses to register the most students to vote. We had various categories. They were two-year, four-year, public, private. We had 68 schools do that. So that's just one chunk of what we did. Mm -hmm. But we tried to think a little bit differently about it. I'll just mention one other. We really are continuing to do that, but we're also reaching out as we did in 2016, to um, immigrant communities, to Mm -hmm. new Americans. So we more than doubled the number of foreign languages that we serve, both on the website and on paper, Mm -hmm. from 5 to 11. So now we service 11 different languages, and I know as the son of an immigrant how important that can be for civic functions. So those are just a couple examples of things we tried to do. And Secretary Secretary Simon, I appreciate that you bring up talking to young people and encouraging them to vote. Because recently I was speaking uh, to a group of students, and one of the things I was telling them was trying to encourage them to vote, not only worry about a presidential level, level, but to get involved on a grassroots level. So how do you encourage people to pay attention to, like, who their 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 local candidate is, down to even, like, maybe the school board? Right. Well, I have to tell you, Keith Ellison says it well when he talks to young people, and he knows that I sometimes rip off his line. I, jo- <laughs> I, jo- I joke with him about it, and he says, that's okay. Yes. He gave me permission. Okay. Okay. But his line, which he uses, and I love it, and particularly for young people, is, you may not be into politics, but politics is into you. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you may think the only thing that affects you is president of the United States. You don't have to care about who's in the legislature or county commission or any other office. But believe me, those folks who get elected to those offices either do things or fail to do things Mm -hmm. that have an impact every day in every way on our lives. And it's something that you may think is disconnected from you in your life, but it isn't. And so caring about that and knowing about that is important. So I talk about that as well. I also talk about how I can understand, generally speaking, whether it's president of the United States or county commissioner or whatever, a lot of young people, a lot of people generally, have this impulse to boycott or stay away from the election almost as an act of protest, almost as a way to say, I disapprove Mm -hmm. of these candidates, this system, politics, whatever, and I'm going to stay away. And I always um, uh, think about a t-shirt I saw a few years ago that captures the message for me. And the t-shirt said, uh, failure to vote is not an act of rebellion. It's an act of surrender. And I I found that with young people in particular, that seems to work. The idea that they shouldn't surrender something they've been given. And that means, as you said, um, the whole ballot, if you can. You know, I'd rather have someone go in and vote for the offices and the people they know and not the rest than just stay away entirely. But you're right. It's not just about the, the flashy sizzle of a presidential race, which, mm-hmm. of course, we don't have this fall. Right. It's about top to bottom other matters on the ballot. They really do make a difference. We're talking to Secretary of State Steve Simon here in Minnesota. And uh, Secretary Simon, uh, we talked a little bit about, okay, you legally can start voting when you're 18. But what else is involved in this? Because we've been hearing about this person shouldn't get to vote, this thing. What legally, especially here in Minnesota, 
What does it take for you to be able to actually go and vote? So the basic requirements are pretty simple. You've got to be 18 years old to vote. You've got to be a citizen of the United States to vote. You've got to be a resident of where you say you are. You've got to live where you say you live, basically. And you can't be currently serving a felony sentence. And okay. that's a whole different issue. I have to say, mm-hmm. that's a civil rights issue. That's one that we need to overcome. And I, I think the glass is half full there. I think we're closer to getting it done than not. And just for your listeners' sake, Minnesota is poised to make a change to be more like other states in this country, like North Dakota, a growing list of states that say, if you're in prison, you can't vote. But if you get out of prison, if you've done your time, if you're out and about trying to put your life back together, you should be able to vote. There are 50,000 people or so in Minnesota who are caught in that trap. They are out of prison, but they're still, as it's called, on paper, meaning they're serving Mm -hmm. part of their felony sentence, but it's on supervised release or probation or something else, and they're not allowed to vote sometimes for many years, more than five years, more than 10 years, sometimes more than 15 years. After they've finished their sentence. After they've finished the the serving in prison. In prison. And so um, that's another issue, speaking of requirements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't done a lot of research into this, but I know in Florida it's been in the news a lot, and there's other states too where they've been talking about trying to restore people's voter rights. So that's what you're alluding to here is that we're working on that in Minnesota. Yes, we're working on it, and it's quite bipartisan. I mean, Republicans and Democrats, sometimes for different reasons, Mm -hmm. who want to lift that restriction. You know, the conservative columnist George Will, Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago, he came out with a column very strongly saying that there is no reason not to let people who have already served their time in prison vote. Right. So... I've read a lot, too, in the news or heard um, on TV about voter identification laws in various states. I'm wondering, what are the actual requirements in Minnesota in terms of how do I prove that I live where I am or that I am who I say I am? And what are your thoughts on that whole issue of requiring some kind of voter identification? They've talked about it just to the east of us in Wisconsin. That's, that's been right. a big issue. Well, we had a big knockdown drag out about that very issue in 2012 in the state. We had right. a proposed constitutional amendment that would require at the polling place as a condition to vote a government-issued photo ID. That went down. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and thank goodness. And I um, uh, worked on that vote no campaign. Um, it was just, it collapsed of its own weight. It was way too restrictive. It was way too punitive and not necessary for Minnesota. So, what are the rules in Minnesota? Of course, in Minnesota, to register to vote, you got to show two things you are who you say you are, and you live where you say you live. Mm-hmm. To your question, how do you do that? Right. Fortunately, over the decades, by the way, whether Democrats have controlled or Republicans have controlled, this has been the rule. Over the decades, um, we've been quite um, uh, accommodating about how a person can prove that. Yes, you may prove those things through a state-issued government-issued ID Mm -hmm. like a driver's license, but you can use more than that. You can use... uh, you can use uh, uh, someone, even a, a neighbor, to vouch for you, for example. Mm. My own father would not have been able to vote in uh, uh, a gubernatorial election one year because he and my mother had just moved, just downsized in October. They didn't have a utility bill. That's right. another thing you can use. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any other uh, on the long list of, of items that you can use. Um, and so they had to have a neighbor actually go vouch. Okay. And that's what happened for my father. So we have a lot of ways you can accomplish that, not just the one narrow, rigid, state-issued, government-issued mm-hmm. photo ID. And the problem is to do that, to restrict it to that, would absolutely shut many, many thousands of people out of the process. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Like, who who is affected by those voter ID laws the most? Who's being shut out of the process? Oh, there's no question. The people who are being shut out of the process are either people who tend to be lower income mm-hmm. and also uh, people who tend to be people of color. No yeah. question about that. You look at Wisconsin, you look at other states, That who be- that, those are the folks who bear the brunt of those kinds of really restrictive photo ID laws. And that has not been our tradition in Minnesota. Right. In Minnesota, we have a broad you know, array of ways that you can prove those two things. You are who you say you are and you mm-hmm. live where you say you live. And unlike a lot of other states, we do we still have that ability to just to register on the fly on the day of the election? That, more than any other piece of legislation in the last 50 years, has moved the needle. Mm-hmm. We are. We were the third state to implement what's called same-day or election-day mm-hmm. voter registration, and we're still one of only 14 or 15 states that has it. So just think about that for your listeners. If you've lived in another state or known someone who has, in most of the rest of America, if you miss the cutoff, whatever their cutoff is, probably mid-October, sometimes early October, if you miss that, you are out of luck. doesn't right. matter if you forgot, 
misunderstood, need a do-over, you were sick, doesn't matter. You're out. Right. In Minnesota, you can roll out of bed that day. Go to the polling place, register right there, and vote right there. And that, more than anything, as I say, has really moved the needle. That is one of the reasons we are always at the very top of the list when it comes to voter turnout. And this is not some boutique niche service that only a few people take advantage of. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Minnesotans do this every election. This is a very mainstream thing that is done. That's fantastic. And I I just wanted to bring that up because I personally just had a conversation with a colleague, a college professor who did not vote in the last midterms because he had just moved. And he didn't think, he didn't know that in Minnesota he could just show up and register. And the, I don't know about the whole ID, like, you know, do I have a utility bill yet or not? But, you know, he could have brought a neighbor, just gone to the poll together. And he just didn't vote because he didn't know that. Oh, I lesson know. learned. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I gave him an earful. But now you see why we have to do things like this podcast. Exactly. Is that there are so many right. things out there that people either they just they don't think know. They, they think they know but they're not sure or things change and there are so many that's why we appreciate having an expert like you secretary right. Simon to come and explain all these things yeah. because things are uh, changing and evolving over time where you think that you know I remember I moved here from Arizona so when I first moved here my brain was still thinking about what it was like in Arizona because it never occurred to me oh no things are different from state to state to right state. so right. if you just moved here from another state like this person I was talking about he just assumed because in his state it. you could do it was like do that. his prior state right exactly well here's one other but thing but we're better here <laughs> oh, of course right we well let me just indulge About voting. <laughs> let me just indulge in the minnesota superiority complex <laughs> yes again Please in one do. more way and that is we have some another thing that i i want to spread the news far and wide and to your listeners is now this is a clunky title and we're coming up with a snappier one okay but we have in this minute in this state what we call no excuses absentee voting i kind of like love this. Okay. i, I kind of like to call it something like vote from home or vote at home we'll come up with something good mm -hmm. um anyway uh, what it means is no the, the root word is absent right. so you used to have to be absent to do that to vote absentee mm -hmm. and for a lot of reasons uh the legislature in my final term it was my bill got rid of the excuse, as other states have done, and now you don't have to sign some sort of oath anymore to... That says, I'll be out of the country, or exactly, there's some reason why exactly. I can't. Right. Now, you can vote from home. You could go to a government office if you want, but you can vote if you want from home for any reason or no reason. It's nobody's business what your reason is. You can order it. It's a very generous absentee period. This year, it starts on September 21st. You can start voting on September 21st. Mm -hmm. You go to mnvotes.org. That's our website, mnvotes.org. And you go there. You can register online. You can also uh, order that absentee ballot to wherever you live. And you can take your own sweet time. You can vote over days or weeks if you want. <laughs> you can fill out one contest while you're eating breakfast, one while you're doing laundry. Uh, mm -hmm. It's great. You can actually look up all of the judges that yeah. are running in your area and yes. like do some research. Seriously. Yes. And as a, as, a, as a single mom, yeah. I mean, for me, I appreciate this thing because I did that whole one year I took my son, uh, and I was like, you need to learn about this process. Right. But now I figured out my son, he's he's already quirky. He's at the in-between age. I'm all like, you know what? Maybe I'm trying to force this on you, and you're not ready for this. <laughs> I need to be able to do this without you. And so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, at first, I was like, I, I will, but I, I changed my mind and decided I was just torturing myself and him. <laughs> but <Right, right. laughs> I'm like, we'll revisit this when he gets older is what I decided. You know, so yeah. I, I think it's great that you can do it because there's yeah. lots of reasons. That's one there's of the reasons why now reasons, that I still yeah. want to be involved, but maybe I, it's difficult for me to go to the polls on that day. And you know yeah. what? People in this state have totally flocked to this option. Let me just throw out a stat for you. Before this law passed, the percentage of voters who typically voted absentee, the people who had to swear that oath and mm -hmm. promise they were going to be out of town or too sick, it was about 8 or 9, maybe 10% in a stretch year. In 2016, you know what percentage voted absentee in Minnesota? Almost 23%. Wow. So we're marching on a quarter of voters who vote before Election Day even mm -hmm. comes around. That tells me people like this. They don't want to be told, oh, you can only vote in person in a 13-hour period on this day. They want to vote, but maybe they're working. Maybe they have childcare right. issues. Maybe they're just not feeling so hot. Maybe whatever. It's nobody's business anymore what the maybe is. They just can do it, and they love it. Yeah. We're almost at a quarter. I have but to say I did do this in 2016 because I had – I, this is another side issue of us not having Election Day as a holiday, which we could come back to if we have time. But I had classes all day on Tuesday in 2016, and I didn't want to not vote. Like, I was really worried, like, I'm not going to be able to get there or there's going to be really long lines because I, being optimistic that there'd be huge turnout. 
so I did. I requested the 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 no excuses or absentee. I'm not sure what we're calling it. <laughs> right. We'll work on mm-hmm. that. Um, it was so easy. You know, I just went on the web page. I filled out a form. I got it in the mail. Maybe a week later. It didn't take very long. Got this packet, and I did. I looked up. I I watched videos of all right. the school board candidates right. that were on there. I was like, wow, I am so informed this year. <laughs> totally. been, and it was very easy. I think the only thing that may trip up some people is I believe I had to have a witness sign. Yes, that's true. And mm-hmm. and for me that was fine. I, you know, my husband, my mother, there's people around. I could see that the, if that's an issue for you, that that could be a, a stumbling block. But so, Lori, you've done the no excuses. I did. And the, you've done fantastic. the absentee. I've done the early voting. Yeah. And so I think that brings us to Secretary Simon. Okay, we have all of these options now. So there's lots of ways for people to get involved with the process, which we encourage. Does that give people a bit more anxiety about the integrity of the results? Mm. Well, Maybe some people, but I have to tell you, um, it shouldn't. Does it give you anxiety? No, it doesn't. It does not. Minnesota has a very good, clean, strong record of honesty, integrity in our elections. Uh, Sometimes you hear the contrary, but you look in a bipartisan basis over the last several decades. We have put in place protections that really ensure um, the integrity for the most part. I'll tell you what I am the most worried about is not what is typically... uh, Uh, lumped under that category. What I'm concerned about is the very real threat of a cyber attack of some Mm -hmm. kind by forces typically outside of this country seeking to undermine our democracy. And you were involved in some of the, the, what recently happened. I remember reading an article where you had to get special clearance so that you could be involved in that, right? That's right. Yeah. So we're working with the Department of Homeland Security and they have urged all the secretaries of state to get a security clearance. Mm -hmm. I just got mine Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can get intelligence briefings. I've already had one. There will be more. Uh, But it's more than just that. Um, We've been working with Department of Homeland Security on securing and modernizing our systems. They were in our office recently with a team of folks to probe our vulnerabilities, do stress tests, do all sorts of testing. Uh, and that is a really useful exercise. And so this is the number one threat to our integrity, not some of the things Mm -hmm. that are typically talked about um, when people reference elections integrity. We have a very clean, very honest system in Minnesota. And, you know, proof of that is that people vote in such high numbers. I don't think we'd, you know, top the charts most years in voter turnout if the everyday Minnesotan thought that the system was somehow corrupt or dishonest or poorly run. Uh, True. They think it's fundamentally honest, and it is. So how does it work in your office when you hear a potential threat like a cyber attack uh, might be going on with an election? Like what Like what gives you pause where you're going, okay, this is what we need to get prepared for? Well, fortunately, we have a real top-notch cybersecurity um, team in our office. And so they look for this stuff and they too work with the Department of Homeland Security. And while I can't speak to any specific incident for reasons mm-hmm. I'm sure you can understand, Fair let enough. me just speak yep. generically and say that there are several sort of tripwires or warnings that would enable us to discover things um, and to sort of shut down access, let's just put it that way, for people who are trying to get in. And we did that successfully in 2016. There was no hack. There was no intrusion in Minnesota. We passed the test. But I think the worry that we have is we got to stay one step ahead of the bad guys, so to speak, and they get smarter. They get more clever every year. And, you know, if they're backed and bankrolled by a foreign government, all the worse. So Mm -hmm. we can't sort of rest on our past performance, which was good. We thwarted and blocked and and turned back all attempts to get in and penetrate. But as I mentioned, um, we were one of those 21 states uh, that was targeted mm-hmm. uh, by a foreign government. We know that from the intelligence fo- folks at the federal government. And, um, so that's and we just not be under careful. debate. Because I have heard bandied back and forth, like, no, it's not a real threat. Like, oh. It's pretty clear to U.S. Secretary of State, this is a real threat oh, it's, to our election. Oh, it's 100% real. And I have to give credit where it's due. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security has been a very effective partner. And, you know, this is a department run by President Trump. And mm-hmm. they are saying... They are telling us in intelligence briefings and elsewhere, not only is it real, we should expect more of it from more sources Mm -hmm. in the coming months and years. Is that something that you even thought could possibly come into your job purview (laughs) when you took this job on? (laughs) I have to tell you, seriously, when I get asked, whether it's family at Thanksgiving dinner or people I bump into on the street or whatever. Your neighbor across the fence. Neighbor across the fence. Yeah, they'll ask me like, hey, you know, you've been in the job three years or so. What's your biggest surprise? Totally what you just implied. Okay. 
my biggest surprise in this office is the extent to which my time and focus and energy and that of senior staff in our office is focused on cybersecurity. When right. I ran for this office just three years ago, three and a half years ago, I didn't get one question at a campaign uh, a debate on that. <laughs> I didn't get one editorial board question. Right. Not mm-hmm. one interest group asked me about cybersecurity. And I get why. It wasn't ripped from the headlines like right in front of our face. Now it is. I can tell you. In the next campaign, it's not going to be the case. I'm going to be asked about it, and I should. And yes. so should anyone who runs for this office because it is now front and center. Right. So just a logistical question about that for people who don't know. In Minnesota, do we still have the backup paper ballots? I know that we do have some electronic machines, but there's been a big debate about that because in some states, I think it was Georgia, there was a big discussion about, wow, we don't have a paper trail. Do we have a backup like that in Minnesota? Yes. We are so fortunate that the fundamental design of our system really minimizes the opportunity for any mischief, starting and probably ending with what you just said. Mm-hmm. We are a proudly old school pen and paper <laughs> state. Yes. You go Love into that it. ballot, you got go to that uh, polling place, and you are just darkening an oval like a high school kid would on a test. Yes. Exactly. It's not even a special pen. You could, it's like a big pen from Walgreens. <laughs> I mean, it's, not, it's not some special number two no. pencil or anything. Right. It's just you're darkening that oval. And yes, you're right. That uh, ballot is fed into a machine uh, right there at the polling place. But mm-hmm. under state law, that cannot, shall not, must not be connected to the Internet. Good. And then after that, we have a special encrypted system by which the local folks report results to our office. Mm-hmm. And then they do what's called a post-election uh, audit. And then our office does what's called a post-election review. And so we're lucky. It's hard to hack paper, right? Right. And, right. and you mentioned you can Georgia. You go back to that paper. Totally. And it. under federal law, we got to keep the paper right. for almost two years. So you mm. can touch, see, feel, okay. look mm-hmm. at the ballots. So that's good. Yeah. And what were you, you started to say about well, Georgia? No, Georgia, uh, Louisiana, Pennsylvania, Virginia, those are some of the states that have touchscreen machines with no receipt or paper trail. None. Mm. So, I mean, that we, is scary. We expect better That's from brave. our ATM machines, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, so they don't have that. We do. And that goes a long way to ensuring the integrity at the polling place. Is My, there a cost issue? Is that why we're going, okay, let's go fully paperless? You know, yeah, I'm. I'm I can't believe that we're just protecting the environment and worried about no, paper now all of a sudden. That's not it. No. Okay. I think what happened, it was 15 years ago or so when there was some money to buy new elections equipment in the states. Um, there were some states that were sold on this vision of the paperless future. Right. Remember, mm-hmm. we, remember that trend? It was yes. like yep. post Y2K, yes. you know, early 2000s. It was, oh, we were all going to have paperless. Bad. I don't yes. know about yep. your uh, home or office. I'm swimming in paper still. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, So that never happened. But I think some people bought into that vision, bought those machines, thought it would be the cutting edge. But we were proudly old school. And so are the majority of states. Um, And that makes it in the polling place a lot safer. My concern with cybersecurity is less about the polling place, although you can't say it's a zero possibility. It's a minimal possibility. Okay. But my concern is with things like the statewide voter database, which we run out Mm -hmm. of our office, which has millions of names in it with very personal sensitive information like social security data, license, driver's license data. And that we're in charge of. And uh, of the 21 states that were targeted by a foreign government, two of them suffered an intrusion, Illinois and Arizona, into that exact system. So. That's they're where, stealing identity-related information. Well, they're, Could se- be. they're seeking to, they're, yeah, probably. Okay. Yes. Or just wreak havoc with the election system. Yeah. So I want to take a, a little bit of a turn talking about the same topic, but from the other angle. I'm talking about voter integrity. And I, I've just been so terribly bothered by this voter integrity commission that has now been disbanded, but at, at the national level. And in January just of 2018, the New York Times had a story about how President Trump had disbanded this commission that he had started. Um, But the assertion was that we needed this commission because, and this is a quote from President Trump, he said, despite substantial evidence of voter fraud, many states have refused to provide the Commission on Election Integrities with basic information relevant to its inquiry. And I believe that Minnesota was one of those states that refused to provide that sensitive information that you just referenced in your database. Would you be able to give us a little bit more information about what what were they asking for that states refused to give and, and why did states like Minnesota and so many others refuse to give that information? Well, first, if you'll uh, allow me, just a mm-hmm. little background. Absolutely. Before the president was even sworn in, when he was president-elect, he claimed that three to five million people in this country voted illegally. Yes. Okay. That is a staggeringly false and irresponsible figure, and it's so you irresponsible. you have seen no evidence to support that claim? None. 
Uh, and let me just say this. Let's just assume for a minute. It's not $5 million, it's $3 million, the mm -hmm. conservative low number. Mm -hmm. If we were to chop that up and apportion it by population, Minnesota's share of that would be north of 50,000 people. Let me tell you, if we had 50,000 fraudulent voters, there would be riots in the street, and, and for good reason, <laughs> You right? would know uh, if we right. had that many people. Uh, it's you silly. Would know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and so that's where the commission came from, this claim, this unsupported, unsubstantiated claim that millions and millions of people voted illegally. So they started this commission. Mm -hmm. They asked me and my colleagues around the country to hand over, just hand over, millions and millions of voter records. They wanted every piece of data, basically, on every voter. They didn't just want name and address. They wanted people's social security information, their driver's license information, their residential history, their military history, and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone in Minnesota, or elsewhere for that matter, who registers to vote, ever believes that in doing so, their personal private stuff is going to end up in some federal database in Washington, particularly for this purpose. So mm -hmm. I, joined by another, oh, maybe dozen or so secretaries of both parties, by the way, right. said, no, we're not giving it to you. It wasn't an order anyway. It was an invitation to comply. So you might say I RSVP'd no, no. to the invitation. <laughs> Thank so, you, by the way, yeah. from one person who's concerned about privacy. Thank you for not giving and over all And we're all, all concerned about privacy. I think it there's is, lots yes. of things where you're going, I didn't know you were going to use it for that, is what right. we're coming into. There's so many of those yeah. scenarios right now. Like, I didn't know Facebook was going to take all this data and use it, right? I right. Mean, there's just there's so, so much... many of those, yeah. you know, where you are, you know, trying to, and it's it's a beast that isn't, you know, of course we can't roll back everything now. There's a reason why we are convenienced, you know, in mm -hmm. the way that we are by people having some of this information. But it is nice to eventually go, okay, enough is enough, and have somebody be able to draw that line in the sand for you and go, no, you don't get it for that you know, I think without my, a good reason. My favorite comment was from the conservative Republican Secretary of State of Mississippi, hmm. who said, basically, he said, you can take a flying leap into the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, that was maybe the most colorful uh, comment. So it came from all over the political spectrum, but I was one of 10 or 12 yeah. who said, no, I'm declining to give you any of that stuff. There's no reason for it. And I'm not going to compromise the privacy of millions, literally millions of voters whose names and information um, uh, are in that database. No. Can I ask you a weird question, Secretary yeah. Simon? Is, is Secretary of State, this sounds like a very basic question, but I know you're an accomplished attorney, you're all this stuff. Is Secretary of State a full-time job? I know some of our, <laughs> our some of the jobs and some right, of the things right. we talk to in local politics is not a full-time like job. Like being a house rep is Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so no, that's you, not it's a, a full-time job. That's right? a totally legitimate question. Yeah, it's a full-time job. Unlike, now I was in the legislature before, and that of course, uh, when you're in the legislature in Minnesota, at least you meet anywhere from three to four and a half months per year, depending on the year. And then you go off and you do other stuff. Right. Uh, maybe you're a teacher or a farmer or whatever. Uh, Secretary of State is full time and it's year round. But okay. no, it's a legitimate question. Yeah, that's a good question because people might not realize. And you do more. This is focused on voter rights, voter registration, but you do other things than I just see your name all the time the because I have an LLC. So So yes, the voting part is the part that gets the most attention right. and, and for understandable reasons. Yeah. But we do business services. We do all the business record keeping. We do liens. We do uh, uh, financing statements, all sort of commercial activity. And there's one other thing we do. I can't resist a plug. Uh, it doesn't get as many headlines, but it's very worthy, meaningful work. We run something called the Safe at Home program. Oh, okay. Safe at Home is an address confidentiality program for victims of domestic violence, stalking, sexual assault, others who might have a professional reason to fear for their safety. And basically, it means that their address is totally confidential for all purposes, public and private. Mm. And with some very, very narrow and occasional exceptions for like law enforcement and only in certain situations, um, we and only we know where they truly live. And so we get them their mail mm. and we help them navigate through some of these difficulties. And so it's a lifesaver. And that's something that we run as well. Yeah, that is really good to know because I think most people or a lot of people probably have never heard of that. Right. So True. That's a great plug. Another thing that I, I get emails from you about, too, are our boards and commissions. Yes. So I think when we talk about grassroots and getting involved, that's another way that people could get involved is to look at all these these vacancies that we have at the the state and local level for Yes, if you all go to our Yes, if you go to our website you'll see there are hundreds of boards, commissions, task forces that are looking all the time for members, citizen members. Mm -hmm. It can on any given subject uh, uh, and we run that process. We don't make the appointments. The right. governor actually makes them, but we run the process. And let me just say to your listeners, 
don't get psyched out by thinking that you don't have the expertise. Let me give you an example, a real world example. Someone I know, a coworker from another job a while ago, she approached me and she said, hey, you know, I, uh, I'm really, I always just had an interest in psychology. I'm not mm -hmm. a psychologist. She's not. But she said, I noticed that there's a couple openings on the board of psychology. Is that something I could apply for? I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Some of these boards are actually searching for lay people who aren't. And so, in some cases, there are spots reserved in law for someone who isn't on the board of dentistry. Mm -hmm. They have spots reserved for non-dentists or a right. board of psychology for a non-psychologist. She applied. She got it. She's wow. now on the board of psychology. She's a friend of mine. Again, she's not, that wasn't like her major, her degree or anything like that, yeah. but she just has an interest. And so I hope none of your listeners who are maybe interested in this would ever think, well, I dabble in such and right. such, or I like architecture as a hobby, but I'm not an you know, architect. Go apply for this stuff. It's a yeah. great way to have an impact right. and some influence and meet other influencers in that sphere. Yeah, I think that's a, a great plug for that because I've talked to people who say, well, I, you know, I'm interested in that. Or I, I would apply for that, but I don't know the governor. Like, I'm nobody important. They're never going to put me on the, you know, the park board or something like that. Like, So it's good to know that, yes, if, even if you're just an average soccer mom or wh whatever your job is, whatever you do – there's a spot for you somewhere to get involved. Yeah. Which is what we want. You right. know, you, know, yes. you yeah. want people to sit there and actually feel as though they can be, or Just not average even feel, to know and to believe that they can actually be involved in this community and step outside their door and become part of this. It's not all just because that, that's part of why we get disenfranchised is that mm -hmm. you sit there at your coffee yep. table and you go, I can't make a difference. They don't care what I think. They're not going to listen. Um, and so knowing about those opportunities and being able to go, no, I can be involved is very important for people to know. Yeah, I really hope so. And as I mentioned, they are actually seeking out people who don't have that close-in professional expertise and background because they want people who bring a fresh perspective and aren't dentists and psychologists to those boards or the uh, whatever the, the commission may be. So yes, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I do hear that a lot. I hear... In other related spheres, people say, you know, I just, I feel shut out or I feel like I don't have access or mm -hmm. you got to know somebody big to get in the room where all these decisions right. are made. I don't made. have and, those connections. And, right. And, and I'm not yeah. going to say that some of that feeling uh, isn't legitimate because sometimes it can seem that way. But let me give you another example. You know, I, I mentioned that I was in the legislature for 10 years. I can't speak to any other state. I don't know how it is in Arizona or Indiana mm -hmm. or California or anywhere else. But in Minnesota, I can say that members of the Minnesota legislature are shockingly accessible. I think some people think you see that big marble building and they conjure in their minds images of layers and layers of gatekeepers and staff. That isn't the way it is. Uh, there's like one assistant that shares like anywhere from two to four legislators. And when I was in the legislature, I will tell you um, – it was super easy to get an appointment, either in the building or back in the district, even a cup of coffee. Not only that, but you don't need an army of lobbyists to get the attention of a legislator. I'm not saying you'll get his or her vote, but to get their attention. When I was serving, which is only three and a half years ago in the legislature, if I got an email on a particular subject, no matter how obscure, if I got, say, two or three or four or five within a 24 or 48-hour period, I would notice it. I'm not mm -hmm. saying I'd be magically persuaded of their point of view, but I would say, hmm, that obscure bill on the plumbing code or something. I, it's weird. I've, I've got I got five emails on that in the last 24 hours. Hmm. So you actually saw the emails yourself. Yes. This isn't like some black hole. Like I think that makes no. me feel better. Emailing no, no, my no, senator. No. And so you see the big white marble building, and I think all your listeners should know, even if you've got a bone to pick, even if you, maybe especially if you've got a bone to pick, reach out, make an appointment, even with a group, shoot them an email. You're going to get noticed. You might not get their vote and you might not persuade them of your point of view, but they're going to notice. Um, and there are not a million gatekeepers either. Uh, so that's just another related point. What so it's more is, accessible than you think. What is the yeah. best way for us to get it? I mean, people kind of wonder, it's like, should, does it have more weight if I call versus I send an email versus I, you know, what is the best way for me to get in contact with somebody if I have a concern? Email. Okay. I would say absolute email for state legislators. And in our office, too, we get a lot of emails. And um, and so I would think email these days is is just the best way. And that can lead to other things like, hey, I'm sending you this email because I want to grab coffee at the coffee shop in our neighborhood since right. you represent me. Or, hey, I'm sending you an email because this bill is coming up. I really want you to vote against it or vote for it or whatever. Email is kind of the, uh, the, the coin of the realm, you might say. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'd like to take another turn again back to some 
sort of what we started with is which is voter registration, but to talk about on actual election days. So you you've got the early voting and all that, but if I'm going to show up at the polls on November sixth, two thousand eighteen, put on your calendar now. <laughs> I've been counting the days. Um, what do people need to know just in general about their rights on 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 election day? You know, like when you show up at the polls. I mean, can people ask you for ID? How does that work? Uh, things like I remember last year, you know, 2016, someone complaining at our polling place that there were campaigning. <clears throat> there right. was campaigning going on. Like, what are those rules that people might want to be aware of in terms of on the actual election day right. itself? Let's start in the parking lot. Yes. Let's. Okay. We'll start in the parking lot. Let's say you're going to the polling place. So this yes. isn't an absentee voting situation. Right. You're going to a bricks and mortar place. There is a line within 100 feet of the polling place where you can't have any overt campaigning. So no know. signs no that signs, say No signs, no whatever. Exactly. No, yeah. no, you know, uh, getting in people's face or chanting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the parking lot. Then you go in and they're going to ask if you're on the list, the so-called right. roster. It's just a fancy name for the list. Mm-hmm. And if you're already registered, don't let anyone, if they see you on the list and you're already registered, do not let anyone ask you for an ID. Okay. There's so you... no requirement for you to show an ID if you were on that roster, if you are registered. Doesn't matter if you did it the week before, the month before, or the year before. Mm-hmm. If you're on that list, no one's got a right to say, well, I need to see a driver's license, sir or ma'am. Mm-hmm. No, they don't need to. And in fact, under state law, they're not permitted to. Do you have a right to, see, like, if somebody says, oh, I don't see you on the list here, can you say, well, can I see, you know, can I see the list to see sure. if my name is on it or not? So yeah. you have a right to say, well, wait a minute. Let, let me see the list. Right. And if, not that that's going to happen no, in Minnesota. But, and, but, and it rarely does. Sometimes there's human errors and things right. get right. You know, uh, uh, mucked up. But I would say that, that that's the beauty of having the backstop and the insurance of the same-day voter registration. Let's right. say it's simple human error. Right. Somebody yep. miskeyed a record or something like that, and you're just not on you're the list. You're not on the list. And you know you registered. In fact, you've been yep. voting at this place for 10 years. Right. Um, all you do is say, all right, let me just take that piece of paper and I'll register right here. And they'll okay. say, okay, and so that's it. No problem. You just do it right there right. on the spot, election day registration. Whereas in the other uh, 35, 36 <laughs> states, I don't know what the heck you do. Um, I think you don't get to vote I in I think some you of those probably states. don't mm-hmm. get to vote. Or you have mm-hmm. to go to a judge or mm-hmm. who has to make an emergency ruling on the spot. I don't know. I'm not an expert in their election systems. Right. But in Minnesota, we have that backstop. What about is, the people who say, okay, I, the, uh, people are just walking up saying that they're other people. No. And they don't have to say oh, show no. an ID. What about, what? Are, how do we shut those people down? So that's called voter impersonation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in modern Minnesota history, I can't recall a single case of voter impersonation. Okay. Now, there is a small incidence of other potential problems at the poll, but it's very isolated, it's small, it's contained when it comes to the numbers. But in terms of voter impersonation, which mm-hmm. I will fully admit is the one species of uh, voter fraud which a photo ID requirement would solve. Okay. Because you can't do it unless you show, but we haven't we haven't had that in Minnesota okay. in It's not a history. problem we need to solve. Right. Right. Okay. That's good to know. Other things the day of, you said, you know, don't let them ask you for ID. If you're on the list, you don't need to show them ID. Other things that people should be aware of? Well, I would say this. Um, for for those who uh, um, have uh, English proficiency issues, for right. whom English is not their native language, yes. um, they are entitled to assistance in oh. the polls. Uh, They are entitled to at least seek out that assistance. Same with people who are voters with a a physical disability. Mm -hmm. Um, We have in every polling place in Minnesota what's called assistive voting technology or equipment, special equipment that can be accessed by people who are uh, hard of hearing or visually impaired Mm -hmm. or who otherwise need assistance. That's a federal law. So every precinct, every polling place in Minnesota has to have that. Obviously, no electioneering actually in the polling place Mm -hmm. either. So those are, I think, some of the basics. Yeah, that's that's really helpful because I I was talking to somebody whose mother doesn't speak English and she said, well, she can't she can't vote because she doesn't she can't read the instructions. She doesn't know what's on the ballot, you know, all that. But that should not be an obstacle. No. And let me just say, you've you've touched a nerve here. So Mm -hmm. my mother was an immigrant. Uh And because of that. I have a strong response to those who say, and you know, I can't blame them for thinking this. It, It makes a certain surface sense. They'll say something like, look, help me out here. You can only vote if you're a citizen, right? Right. You can only become a citizen in most cases if you pass an English test, right? 
Right. So by definition, why would anyone who's eligible to vote need foreign language assistance? It's a fair question. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone who asks it is, you know, somehow off base. But what I tell them is, number one, there are exceptions in U.S. law for, say, refugees, which Good we point. used to let into this country. Right. <laughs> but, for example, I used to represent in, I used to represent, uh, in St. Louis Park a, a, a number of um, Jewish immigrants from the former Soviet Union who were part of this mm -hmm. uh, uh, exception. Mm -hmm. So here were these folks from Moldova and Russia and Ukraine who came over in the 80s and early 90s, and their English wasn't too great, but it didn't have to be. They were right. granted citizenship because they were refugees fleeing persecution. Right. So, number one, there's that. But let's say we're beyond that. I know from growing up in the house with my mother, who was from Austria, mm -hmm. who spoke beautiful, fluent English, that when it came to technical instructions, right. I don't care whether it's how to run the toaster <laughs> or how to register to vote. Mm -hmm. When it came to technical stuff, she much preferred things in her own native language, which was German, as any of us would be. Mm -hmm. Even if we were fluent in French and lived in Paris, when it was something technical, you'd want it in your language. So even that person who passed the citizenship test, passed the English test, they're still going to want that. And here's the kicker. We have been doing that in this state since 1896. We've been publishing foreign language voting materials since 1896, 122 years now. So sometimes you hear this narrative out there that says, you know, back in my parents' and grandparents' day, there was none of this coddling and bending over yeah. backwards for their, those you immigrants. You had to speak English. You had to speak English or you were in big trouble. I don't know how it is in other states. I have no expertise there. But in Minnesota, for 122 years, that's just not the case. What is the case is that starting in 1896, we were printing it in Swedish, Norwegian, German, Italian, Czech, and on and on and on. The only difference between what we did starting in 1896 and what we're doing today is the languages. That is a perfect transition, Secretary Simon, because I know we have to wrap up soon. So in your job, how do you balance, here's what's been working, so we want to keep that going, versus how do we move forward into the future and how do we pick the right things to grow? That is a great question. I think it's convincing people and, and letting them know how well our system has worked, but stretching ourselves. That stretch goal, yes, we're number one in voter turnout, but mm -hmm. let's not kind of rest on our accomplishments and let's embrace different ways that people wish to vote. I mean, the No Excuses Absentee is a great example. As we mentioned earlier in your broadcast, you got close to a quarter of Minnesotans now saying, yeah, that's me. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be told I can only vote in a 13-hour period in that building on that day. I want to do my duty. I want to have my voice heard in other ways. So making voting more flexible, all the while maintaining integrity, of course, is very important. And let me give you some examples. I want to see us move further in the direction of early voting. I'd like us to see us do what California just did and 12 or so other states have done, which is pre-registration for high school kids, 16 and 17. They've already passed the 100,000 mark in California. Mm -hmm. And uh, California, I just heard this on NPR as I was driving here, they just passed automatic voter registration. Yep. So when you go to the DMV, the voter registration is built right into your application for a driver's license. Right. Is that and something that we would discuss here in Minnesota? Absolutely. That is on my list as well. And, you know, in that instance, that would require actually not that much a modification of what we have now. Right now, when you go to the DMV and take the iChart test and all mm -hmm. the rest, you can check a box if you want to be registered to vote. Right. All that this would do is reverse that presumption. So now you'd be registered to vote unless you checked the box and opted out. That's all it would mean. We already have the infrastructure in place. Let's just reverse kind of the assumption there, and that's automatic voter registration. It would have a huge effect. Yeah. It, Oregon was the first state to pass that, and I, they had mentioned that after that happened in Oregon, they had 100,000 people vote who were automatically registered. Now, we don't know how many of them would have voted anyway. They would have gone to the <laughs> effort. But, I mean, 100,000 voters, that's a lot of people that are voting that may not have voted before. That's huge. So that's impactful. We can have that kind of impact in Minnesota. So it's yeah. about generating the support. It has to be in Minnesota bipartisan. Uh, the tradition in Minnesota is that governors will only sign elections bills if they have some bipartisan support. Sure. And so it can't be one party or the other. But I think we'll get there. There are states that are red, states that are blue that have adopted these reforms, and there's no reason we shouldn't do. Right. Because that, that's just helping more people get out there to vote. It helps both parties. Right. I mean, more voters is good for everybody in the democratic process. Absolutely right. Before I know we have to wrap up, but there's one question that I absolutely have to ask or I'll be in trouble, and that's about college students. I forgot to ask you before when we were talking about registering and how does this apply, talking about getting younger students, younger people to vote, college students who may not be living at home, they're first-year college students, 
can, where do they vote? How do they go about registering? What if they're out of state, but they right. want to, what, they, can they still vote in Minnesota? Or do they have to vote in the state that they're in college in? Can you help us understand what, what we should be telling our college students? Right. For college students, it's all about their intent, all about their state of mind. So let's say someone's from Minneapolis and they're going to school in Mankato. Mm -hmm. They can either vote in Minneapolis or they can register to vote in Mankato. It's where they intend to reside for uh, you know, the indefinite future while they're there. And they must have been a resident of that place for uh, 20 days before the election. Okay. So um, that's really it. So you can choose to register on the campus in Mankato in this example or to just simply vote from where uh, uh, you lived uh, previously. And the same applies if you're out of state. Let's say that hmm. same student from Minneapolis goes to school in Madison, Wisconsin. They, mm -hmm. too, can choose to retain their Minneapolis uh, voting residents uh, and, uh, and, and order the ballot. And they uh, would just do the no excuses ballot. That's right. They just order it and fill it out and send it back in. That's exactly what I would right. recommend. So that should not be an obstacle to any of our college students in terms of voting. It should, not at all. Should be able to get them out. Not there. at all. And the whole absentee, the no excuses absentee is something that I want to encourage more college students to explore so we don't have the sort of last minute crowding of the polling places mm -hmm. and confusion. I think mm -hmm. students at college campuses across Minnesota and beyond should consider just, just do it by mail. Just order it. If, if you want to really minimize confusion, if you want to get it done and out of the way, if you want that lead time to vote at your own pace and your own schedule, do it that way. Fantastic. So we're about three and a half years into your four-year term, right? So what, not that I expect you to do a little stump speech. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what you do here. You obviously decided that you wanted to be Secretary of State for a particular reason. Do you feel like you are accomplishing your goals and, and what do you want people to know about why you're in this job? Uh, my mission in this job is very simple. It's very easy. You could fit it on a postcard. You could fit it on a bumper sticker. My mission in this job is to make it as easy as possible for all eligible Minnesotans to vote, period. I think people can understand that, mm -hmm. and I think they've understood that we've made great strides. We got back to number one, which is a real feather in our cap, mm -hmm. and that's my mission going forward. It will always be my mission as long as I'm privileged to hold this office. Everyone has one vote from the mm -hmm. billionaire to everyone else. We only have one, and we ought to use it and not surrender it. That's and right. I think that that's one vote matters. Absolutely. Everyone. Absolutely. Well, we, of course, will have more questions later, so can we invite you back on? I would podcast? be happy to come back. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're joined today by our Secretary of State here in Minnesota, Steve Simon. You can get all of his information. We'll put all the links because we'll give out our website. Hopefully you already found us at indivisiblemno3.org. Yes. And again, the uh, all the Twitter handles and everything, Lori? It's all indivisiblemno3, so it's at Indivisible MNO3. If you're on Twitter, you can email us. You can actually email resist at indivisiblemno3.org. And of course, you already mentioned our website, and we will link to the Secretary of State's website as well to make it as easy as possible for people to find that How Do I Register for Vote page that that you have on your website. So again, thank you so much for being here. It was just delightful to talk to you. And hopefully we can have you back maybe in, when it gets closer to the election and we can talk some more about some of those election-related issues. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us for the Indivisible MNO3 podcast. Again, it's IndivisibleMNO3.org, broadcasting from the Studio Americana Studios here in Golden Valley, Minnesota. And we'll see you next time. So go tell your neighbors and even the strangers There's so much to share